Welcome to Book Me, sponsored by Nimbus Publishing. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Today, author Joan Dawson. Here's a challenge. Write a book about Switzerland without once mentioning the Alps. It would be just as difficult to write a book about the Atlantic provinces without referencing their harbors. Long before Europeans arrived, those sheltered indentations in our coastlines marked the spot for settlements, fishing, trade, celebrations, and recreation. They still do, and Joan Dawson has traced that unbroken history in her book, Nova Scotia's Historic Harbors, the Seaports that Shaped the Province. Joan Dawson, welcome to Book Me. Thank you very much, Costa. Uh, you've written several themed histories of Nova Scotia, from lost communities to uh, a history of the province as told through 50 objects. What made you decide to write a history through the vehicle of its harbors? Well, the harbors seem to me to be the basis of the province's economy and to have been the scene of settlements and meetings and departures and all kinds of, of events, shipwrecks, piracy. So much has gone on in the harbors. It seems worth looking into. Well, it uh, certainly panned out that way in the book. Before people started marking the lines over the cities and the counties on maps, those harbors did draw the Mi'kmaq for many reasons. What role did the harbors play in their lives before the Europeans came? Well, the Mi'kmaq had always traveled by water, and many of them spent the winters hunting in the forests. But in the summer, the shorelines were particularly valuable to them because of the the fishing and the possibility of gathering shellfish. And so they set up uh, encampments on the river mouths and in the harbors. And this is where many of them would meet, perhaps after not having seen each other all winter, having been scattered all over the forest and the inland. So many of the harbors were spots where they came together to celebrate. For example, there was a spot at the head of Bedford Basin, which is now commemorated, where there were many rock carvings, uh, indicating that it was a very important spiritual place for them. Why was the the western part of Halifax's harbor, say from downtown Halifax today to Point Pleasant Park on the on the tip of the peninsula, known as the place of the spirits? Well, that was another important meeting place for them. They considered this to be a, a, a very special sacred place, and so, of course, they were particularly incensed when um, Cornwallis decided to set up the town there. But you know, they still have a, a feeling for some of the spots in Point Pleasant Park, you know, which is the relic, basically, of the place where they used to meet. And once the European settlers did arrive, how did they use the Mi'kmaq knowledge of harbors? Well, that was very important to them. And to begin with, the first encounters uh, of the Europeans in the Mi'kmaq took place when the fishermen came over, fishing boats moored in the harbors. And this is how the first exchanges of furs and fish and, and European manufactured goods took place, because the Mi'kmaq were very friendly to the arrival, new arrivals. They enjoyed trading with the fishers because they could get metal things like knives and things, and because they'd only been using stone tools. And so they were very happy to have the the European uh, manufactured goods. And um, a good trade started up there, with the result that when people actually decided to set up fishing stations on on land and develop settlements, the two races were already very comfortable with each other. There was the matter of transportation. Of course, in those days, it would be very hard to uh, make anything that we would describe as a road in any uh, short period of time. So how much of transportation was going from harbor to harbor in boats? Well, for 
many years, it was much more convenient to travel, for example, um, from Halifax to Bridgewater. Um, there was a road of sorts, and travel by, by road, by buggy or by coach would be very uncomfortable. And a regular shipping service ran from Halifax to Bridgewater. And indeed, between many of the major harbours, there were regular shipping services established, which extended well into the 19th century, beginning of the 20th in some cases. Now, there are place names of harbors today, like Spanish Bay and Portuguese Cove, that remind us how many European nations were interested in the resources. But I really didn't realize until I read your book how the name Petit de Gras, the community in Cape Breton, figured in this. Well, the de Gras was the spot offshore. The, the boats would moor fairly well into the harbor, and the fishing station would be set up on shore. But sometimes the catch would be far out on the banks and it would be too far to go back to the shore every day with the catch. And so these subsidiary stations, which are known as de Gras, were set up on islands or on points of land much closer to the fishing banks, with the result that this became a very special place for them. And the name Petit de Gras in, in uh, Ile Madame is obviously the relic of this practice. Now what about the, that transition from, you know, visiting from Europe and doing seasonal fishing to having year-round settlements in harbors? Well, it grew up gradually. Um, people like Nicolas Denis, um, who had come over many times from Europe, decided that he wanted to set up what he called a sedentary fishery because he realized that going back and forth and having to stow away your gear every winter somewhere where you could fish it out again the next summer was um, all very well. But you could set up a community where you would set up agriculture, as he did in some places, and make a, a permanent settlement, which would be all part, of course, of the French colonization of North America. Later on, what about that uh, other natural industry that grew up in, in sheltered harbors, shipbuilding, especially around well, the Bay of Fundy? Yes, absolutely. It was a wonderful spot for shipbuilding. Obviously, uh, people who were engaged in, in fishing and, and in trade, needing vessels, needed vessels, and it was hardly worthwhile sending back to Europe for them all the time. There was a plentiful supply of lumber in the forests. There were plenty of waterfalls where sawmills could be set up. And the obvious thing to do was to build ships actually in Nova Scotia. And the Bay of Fundy was particularly good for it because the wide tidal range would allow people to work on the ships very easily at low tide, and then they could be floated off at high tide with very little trouble. But even the, the shipbuilding trade, which really led to the development of many communities uh, around the Bay of Fundy, uh, had its ups and downs as the preferred materials changed over time. Well, yes, of course. It was one of those things that, that, that developed over, over the years. But there was great competition toward the end of the 19th century from other places where there was more um, iron ore available and iron-hulled ships were built. And for some reason or other, Nova Scotians were very set in their ways. And although perhaps they could have had access to other materials, they continued to build wooden sailing ships and not install steam-powered engines, even though we had coal to do it, um, until quite late, with the result that they were overtaken by the steamships that were made elsewhere, and gradually the shipbuilding industries declined um, because of competition from um, more advanced technologies. Now, I guess wherever rivers ran into a harbor, it would make a, a great natural location for a sawmill or a gristmill, but I was surprised to see you mention that there were also snuff mills and chocolate mills? 
Oh yes, and particularly around Halifax, there were all kinds of other other things were used and were developed with the water power. I mean, any factory that needed power. I mean, these days we just assume that it's going to be electric power, but in those days, any kind of manufacturing depended very much on water power. With the result that um, any entrepreneur who thought he was going to make a living making something else other than sawing wood would use the local sawmill power, the power from the, the, the same mills, to run, as you say, snuff mills and other things like that. I mean, the Barrington Woollen Mill, for example, was developed using water power. But there wasn't that much demand for snuff. Well, yes, in those days, there's <laughs> a... <laughs> when in, in those days, there was a great deal of, of snuff taking the late... 19th century, particularly well, back to the 18th century, uh, snuff was very popular. A lot of these harbors uh, became quite familiar with the sound of gunfire and, and cannon fire as the European nations tried to settle their differences and take back uh, properties from, from other nations. Tell us about uh, some of the things that went on in Canso, for instance. Well, Canso particularly had been one of the earliest places to be developed as a as a shipping harbour and as a, as a fishing station, and it was very valuable both to the French and to the British from New England. And there were constant raids. Um, there was a man called Cyprian Southack uh, who led I don't know how many different raids, um, particularly to the Canso area. At one point. Fishermen from both New England and the French would fish happily together, but then there would be raids and there would be wars which would put them pitted against each other. And there was obviously a great deal of of cannon fire and people's forts were taken and people's ships were seized. And it was a very unsettled period at the end of the 18th century. Now, I'll ask you a personal question. Do you have a, a particular harbor that you like better than all the others? Well, I think I'm prejudiced because I have a spot on the uh, property on the La Have River, but I'm always very interested in what goes on in places like Bridgewater and Riverport, and it's a, it's a lovely spot. But there are so many other wonderful things. I mean, Halifax Harbour particularly has such a fascinating history. It's where I arrived in Nova Scotia, which of course is, that again is prejudice. But, uh, no, I, I don't know, they're all fascinating, but the ones I know best um, are the, are the uh, harbours and the La Have River and, of course, Halifax. And at one point in the book, you did almost something like a time-lapse photography, a sped-up history of Halifax Harbour. Yes, well, it goes back a very long way to the Enigma, and it goes right up to the present day, and there was something happening just about every year at one point. Well, Joan Dawson, thank you very much for joining me on Book Me. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been lovely talking to you, Costas. Thank you for having me. Joan Dawson is the author of Nova Scotia's Historic Harbors, The Seaports That Shaped the Province. It's published by Nimbus. If you enjoyed today's conversation with Joan Dawson, we have dozens more with the people who create books in Atlantic Canada. Get to know more about them, their work, and their inspirations. They're all on bookmepodcast.ca. If you'd like to comment on any of the conversations, like today's with Joan Dawson, our email address is info at bookmepodcast.ca. And something special, if you're in the Lunenburg County area, our podcasts are broadcast every evening, all year round, just before the sign-off around 9 p.m. on the nonprofit radio station CHLU 93.7 FM. Book Me is sponsored by Nimbus Publishing. 
Our producer is Robin Grant, and Laura Hines makes sure all the digital vessels are tied up at the wharf. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Now, let's go read. <laughs>